If you would, uh, please get your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at a passage in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we look at that, you know, over the last, really over the last, uh, I guess now five weeks, we've talked about B for the City. From three Sundays, you've heard me preach about it, to Brother Gene Henderson, Brother Chuck Metter last week. And we've taken a a larger view on, on why we should be for the city. And for the next couple weeks, what we really want to do is personalize it. Like why it matters for, for your life. Why it matters for, for all of our, our lives. Like how to be for the city personally. How to be for the city in our witness. How to be for the city in churchy words that we would call evangelism. But why it matters for you. We want to get personal. And it honestly, it ties into our, our mission. Raising leaders. If you might have forgotten that. Who raised families? Who raised the kingdom? It starts with one person. It starts with individuals. That the Holy Spirit changes their lives, melts their hearts. And they say, I want to be a leader for Christ. I want to be a disciple. And they live for Christ where God's planted them, in this city. That's, that's essentially all B for the city is about. It's not just some specific local mission. It's how we, all of us individually, can live for Christ in this city where God has put us. So, so in essence, Be for the City is not like a, a theme sermon series. It's, it's the vision, the heart of this church. I hope y'all are getting that. I know some of you are, and I know some of you will. To live for Christ, to be a leader for Him, here, now. Now, there are two big problems, though, with that. Two really big problems. And, and I've um, fallen into this trap. It's really a lie. I bought into both of these lies. The problems are, the lies are, one, I can't be a leader for Christ. As in like, yeah, you see the, the preacher dude or see the worship leader or see the missionary? That's just not me. Like I'm not called there, but I can't even be that. Like I, I'm not the type A type person or, you know, I don't have that gift set. I don't know my Bible enough. I'm not service oriented enough. I can't do that. It's a lie. It's a trap. It's a problem. One of, the, one of the ideas this church was founded on was that anyone can be a leader for Christ. I always say, look at Peter. He was, he was a drunk bar brawler. And he's Peter, the rock. So it's a lie. You can. We can. The other lie, and this, again, I've bought into this, but it's that we shouldn't be a leader for Christ. Hear what I'm saying. I um, have a lot of friends, and a lot of these friends, they don't necessarily live in Jackson, Mississippi, but uh, they are searching for success in life. Maybe they live in uh, D.C. or New York or L.A. or Atlanta. And, man, they're searching. And a lot of them hit this, this like, mode of success. Like, good job, good house, rising up the, the ladder or whatever it is. And when I talk to them, when I visit with them, there is this massive void in their life. As in like, you know, I, I'm, I'm checking all the right boxes. I'm doing the right things. I mean, I should be like happy, you know. I'm not, uh, not going through this severe trauma in life, and yet there's this void. The other lie that people buy into is that, hey, I shouldn't be a leader for Christ 
because it's more important to hit success and money and fame or whatever it is in the world. Really? Like we buy into that lie? And like being a disciple or a missionary or maybe a pastor or, or maybe a worship leader or whatever it is. Or maybe just like a doctor who's a strong Christian or a lawyer or a businessman or a politician who's a strong Christian. There's a cost to that. And we say, no, I want success and I shouldn't go there. It's two lies. I can't be a leader for Christ. I shouldn't be a leader for Christ. What we want to proclaim is don't buy into those lies. I mean, I know people, you, you young folks that are here, you youth, I know people that are trying to climb the ladder of success for the fame, for the fortune, and there is a void in their life because they don't have true meaning and purpose, which is found in Jesus. So, for us to, to be for Christ in the city, we got to start living like really like Christ. How do you do that? I mean, what, what is authentic Christianity? And not like fake Christianity. What does a real Christian look like? I, uh, I love the story, and my son Jack loves it too, Pinocchio. You know Pinocchio? It's actually got a lot of Christian themes. Uh, swallowed by a whale, thought Pinocchio was dead at the end, he came back to life. But one of the things I love is that his dad, Giuseppe, he wanted a real boy. He said, I want a real boy. And he had this you know, boy that was made of wood and you know, bolts. We want real Christians. And it's very easy to walk around kind of like just wooden constructs or robots. Real Christians have life. They have purpose. They have meaning. It starts in the heart. That's what we want here at Bellwether. That's what we're founded on. Raising leaders for Christ, young and, young and wise. How does that happen? I believe this passage in Matthew tells us so by the end of the sermon, and I'm gonna, it's going to be brief, but by the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you, it just depends on whether you want it or not, or whether you choose it or not. Matthew 7, I'm going to read verse 13 through verse 27. And as I'm reading this, think this through. This is the most famous sermon ever given in all of history, Sermon on the Mount. And this passage is how Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount. So, you know, pretty important, most important sermon ever given. This is his... This is how he closes. Verse 13, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is preaching. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall 
because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Closing words to the Sermon on the Mount. I believe Jesus is telling us, here is what real Christianity, here's what authentic Christianity, here's what being a real Christian is about. And to be for the city, to be for Christ in the city, we got to be discerning. What, how do we live that life? How, how do we live truly for Christ? I think this tells us. And it starts with Jesus talking about the gate, this gate. And he says, the gate is wide, that leads to destruction. The gate is wide. What does this wide gate look like in our world? The first things that, that God showed me about the wide gate, one is essentially like all religions lead to the same place. Our, our culture perpetuates that. I mean, they may not say it explicitly, but the wide gate is like, you know, generally if you're a good person, you're going to end up in the same place. Through different means or, or forms or, or ways, you're going you're gonna to end up there if, if you're a good person. And that's never what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Difference in, in Jesus than any other person or founder of any religion. Jesus said, hey, I'm the founder of this religion, and I'm also God. That's, a, that's this bold, radical claim. It, it's true. I believe it's true. Many of you believe it's true. But the wide gate is saying, hey, just be a good person. Everybody kind of ends up in the same place. And if you say differently, people are going to say, how intolerant of you. How intolerant. But, you know, get down to it. All of us are intolerant in the sense that we're all trying to convert people to our way of thinking or our view of life. I mean, the person who preaches tolerance for all or everybody's going to the same place, they're suddenly trying to convert us to thinking that. So, I mean, Jesus, look, he preaches love. He's, we can agree civilly and we can disagree civilly. But, I mean, all religions and all worldviews don't lead to the same place. That's part of the wide gate, that thinking. Another part of it is, is what I mentioned earlier. To live life and it's all about, hey, me, my happiness, my, my welfare, my family's welfare, success, money, whatever, house, boat, car, trips, success, whatever that that looks like for you, for me, that is a wide gate. And that is what our world says, that's what your life should be about, you know? Study, work, do whatever, and then get to this place, and hey, you're successful. And then there's a massive void that people have in their life because they don't have meaning, they don't have purpose, they don't have a savior. They bought in the lie that, that we can save ourselves, and we can't. It's the wide gate. And it's very easy for people to walk through that wide gate. The narrow gate is Jesus. Interesting, the the Greek word for narrow literally means hard. It is hard. Now, it's easy to start with. The narrow gate starts and ends with Jesus. One person, very focused, very centered. It's it's him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's Jesus. Jesus. But it's hard to live it. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't hard, if it was easy. I think you know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
when you want to live for Jesus, then it's going to have a cost. It may have a cost in work, maybe in finances, maybe in relationships. If you want to live for Jesus, relationships are going to change. If you're going to enter the narrow gate, that means everybody else that's going through the wide gate is going to look at you a little bit different, a little bit weird. That's okay. It's okay. Because it is the way. He is the way. It is the gate. It is, is the way to life. And, and yes, there's a cost, but there's not, not necessarily a cost that anyone else in Scripture or Christians up to this point in history have, have paid. And Man, I pray I'm always walking through that gate. I pray we're always walking through that gate. But it's narrow. Narrow means hard. That's why we need a church. We need a family. We need a community. We need small groups to help all of us walk through that gate. Jesus then talks about false prophets, false teachers, because false teachers talk about the wide gate. I've heard false teachers before, probably many of you have, that, that subtly talk about, hey, always lead to one place. It's a false teacher who, who subtly talk about love Jesus and you're going to have prosperity in your life. Jesus never says that. Jesus never says, hey, follow me and, and I promise you wealth and happiness. And he doesn't. Now, there's some, some very wealthy people who love Jesus, but that's not his... He doesn't, like, promise us prosperity. How do, how do we know false teachers and prophets? Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. Know them by their fruit. Not their words. And look, I've known false teachers, false preachers, false small group leaders. It's very easy. And you've got to look at the fruit. The fruit of their life. What are they producing? Are they producing disciples? Are they producing a, a discipleship-oriented life? Are they producing a love for Christ? Are they, are they producing service? Are they, are they for the kingdom? False, false teachers and prophets are, are literally everywhere. And we've got to be wise. We've got to be discerning. We've got to know what is real and what is fake Christianity. What is real and authentic Christianity and what is inauthentic if we're going to truly live for Christ. And then the next passage, I really think this is the most important passage. This is also one of the most challenging passages. And I, I really hope you listen up right now. If, if you've got your bulletin, I've got some points in it that I want to make. And it ties to these next couple verses. This is radical. It is radical thinking. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. These are radical verses. We were, we were talking in our, our radical Bible study group Wednesday morning, and one gentleman brought up this passage. He says, I, I read that every time, and it scares me because I think about meeting Christ and what... And I think I believe, but what if Jesus says, I never knew you? I mean, do you, do you get what Jesus is saying here? You can say, Lord, Lord, and then you meet him, and he says, I didn't know you. Go. This is like, this is hardcore stuff. But I think Jesus gives us the answer of, of what is real Christianity right here. What is it? Well, there, there are some things that if you confess Christ, even if you're real or, or not real, you, you got to have. And we see them here. The first, and this is, if you have your bulletin, if you want to take notes, there's fill in the blanks. But the first would be doctrine. you got to know the right stuff. And, and Jesus says here, they, they do, because he says, Lord, Lord. 
as in doctrine of, hey, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. I, I believe that. I know that. You, you got to have the right doctrine. Second, you got to have passion. This person would say, hey, I have prophesied. I've prophesied. I've cast out demons in your name. That takes passion. To prophesy is to preach, to preach passionately, to cast out demons. To literally say, get ye out of there to a person that a demon's in. I know that's like radical stuff too. People have asked me, do you really believe in like possession? I was like, yeah, I really kind of do. The more I'm in ministry, kind of seen it. it. Takes passion to preach and prophesy, and this guy is. And he, he says, I've casted out demons. Doctrine, passion, and then service. He goes on, he says, I've done mighty works in your name, Jesus. You've got to know the right stuff, you've got to believe it passionately, and you've got to do the right things. If, if you don't do that, if you don't have that, then, then you're not a Christian. But what Jesus is saying here, some who do, man, this is, this is crazy hardcore stuff. Jesus is saying some who do are not Christians. Wow. You catch that? Yeah, it's not, not JHT's words. This is Jesus' words. So what's a real Christian look like? How do we live authentic Christianity? How do we live for Christ? I believe Jesus tells us right here too. And it's also in your bulletin. First one would be surrender our will. Surrender your will Surrender my will. Surrender our will. Verse 21 is the key verse in this passage. He says, Not all will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, it's very easy to look at our relationship with God, with Christ. It's like, hey, it's a win-win deal. You know, God, you win because you get another convert, and I win because I get a glorious life. Jesus never said that. He actually said, lose your life. It's very easy to think, hey, I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth as long as it aligns with, with my will and purposes. Jesus never said anything like that. Our wills can be strong. Trust me, I, I know. I got a strong one. I got a strong will of a wife and kids too. You know what I'm saying? We want what we want. We want to do what we want to do. And it's just our human nature. And that has to die. That's what Jesus means by, by losing your life. That's what he means by surrender. Surrender our will for his. And it's so easy to think, like, as long as I can get a great life, as long as I have a wonderful life, I'll follow you, Jesus. But, you know, a lot of great warriors of the faith have not had what looked like to us this wonderful life. Some, some do. I'm not, I don't know what your life's going to look like. I will say this. To surrender our will, to surrender our lives to Christ, it is enough. And it is the greatest life that we will ever have for eternity. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. To truly live authentic Christianity. We've got to surrender our will. We've got to have the other stuff. We've got to know the right stuff. We've got to know it passionately. We've got to do. But then, but then we've, got to, we've got to surrender our will. And then there's one other thing. And a lot of us would say, man, I get this. A, a lot of us would say, I get this. The second thing is, we got to get the grace part. 
You're like, I do, man. I sing Amazing Grace. You know, grace. No, I mean, like, really get the grace deal. Really get the grace deal. Because it's so easy for us to believe that, hey, what I think and what I do will get me to heaven, will, will get me to Jesus. And if it's all grace, then it's all grace, and it's nothing that we've done. We've got to get that. For example, it's very hard for me to get that Jesus died the death that I deserved. And you know how Jesus died? The cross. So let me put that to all us. Jesus died the death that we deserve. Do we get that? That's grace. We deserve to die. One, one preacher I was growing up, he said, we don't deserve heaven and we get it. That's grace. Another way to like get the grace part. Tim Keller, a, a pastor, leader I, I really admire, he said the biggest thing he has learned in ministry in like 30, 40 years, the biggest thing, and this is Tim Keller, he said that people think, us out here sitting in the pews, we think that our, and get this, this could easily, you could say, goes over my head. He says, we easily think our sanctification leads to our salvation. He's like, what are you talking about? Those are like biblical words. Sanctification is how we grow in Christ, what we do, going to Bible studies, reading the Bible, quiet time, going on mission trips. The trap is thinking that leads to being saved. I've fallen in that trap before. I think many of y'all have. That, oh, I've got to make this Bible study, I've got to go on this mission trip, I've got to do this, because that's going to get me saved. And that's not grace. The truth is, our salvation should lead to what we call our sanctification. Translate that for you. That God's grace was poured down, that we are saved by Jesus and what he did. And if we know that, if we get that, we're like, man, I want to know more about this dude. And like, I want to I serve this guy. And I want to I love this guy. I want to be around people who, who love Jesus. And I want to serve him. And, and ultimately, I'll surrender my life to him. If we get the grace part, if we really get it. If we get the grace part that so many people striving for success in this world, you're already a success in Christ. And that you have millions of people awaiting in heaven to, to love you and to celebrate when you come in and you have a home there for eternity and we're going to be healed emotionally, psychologically, physically, and those we love will be healed. If we get that grace part... If we really get it, we'll say, man, I will. I will give my life to you, Jesus. But you got to get it. I can't make you get it. Only the Holy Spirit can. If we get it, that nothing we do, have done, will do, will save us. Jesus already has. And that we have a life, this wonderful, eternal life awaiting for us that is so grand, we can't even fathom it. And it can start today. And it's all the success and all the peace and all the joy and all the fulfillment and all the purpose and all the meaning that we've ever sought or will seek. We have it. Like that. In Jesus. That's grace. That's grace we can't understand. I don't understand it. Surrender the will. Get the grace. The last part of this passage and just closing this message, I would say that, you know, Jesus talks about the sand and the rock. I would ask you a question. What is your life based on? Sand is the wide gate. Sand is, man, I'm doing the right things in life. I'm working hard. I'm moving up in the, in the job or career. And it's like a void, sand. 
The rock is Jesus. This church was started and based on Christ being the rock. This church was started and is based on people saying, I want to surrender my will and my life to him. There is a void in my life. And when I surrender my will, I will be his disciple, his leader, wherever, whenever, whatever he calls me to. This church is based on the rock of Jesus. This church is also based on the rock of Peter. I mentioned Peter earlier. Peter was a drunk. Peter got in a lot of bar fights. Historically, studies show it. And then Jesus said, you're the rock. You're the rock. You're Petros. I say that because this church is based on John 21. Read that sometimes. Jesus calls Peter to lead his sheep. And Peter says, wherever, whenever, whatever. And Jesus says, really? Because one day you're going to die upside down on a cross. And Peter does. Wherever, whenever, whatever. Surrender a will. Get in the grace. I don't want any of us to be like wooden toys or robots or walking around thinking we're Christian but like having a massive void in our life or just rocking around and not knowing this or that. We want real, authentic, surrendered leaders for Christ. And it can happen when you get the grace. When you get the grace, you're like, man, I'll give my life. I'd invite you today to get the grace. I'd invite you today to be a real Christian. To not live like a robotic faith, wooden faith, but something that starts with the Holy Spirit. And I, I, can't, I can't do that for you. When you get what Jesus has done, who he is, when you really get it, you'll say, wherever, whenever, whatever. And surrender your will in life. That may look like, hey, a call to ministry, call to missionary, call to be a worshiper. It may look like just being a doctor, a businessman, a lawyer, a politician, or whatever it is God's called you, and living for Christ in that arena. It's purpose, it's meaning, it's the rock, it's Christ. It's all that will matter in this life. I invite you, get the grace part.